Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 189. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com. We're excited to have back with us the acclaimed author, artist, and game designer, Dirk Stanley. Dirk, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. And and so you're you're here. You have, um, as of this recording, you have a Kickstarter coming out next Tuesday, August 1st, and it is your latest project called Adventure Perilous, uh, yep. which is a light and flexible tabletop RPG with the old school rules and the retro 8-bit aesthetics. That's right. That's what it is. That's exactly That's, what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's almost like I just read it off of somewhere. <laughs> right. You might have. So, that's what it looks how like. Many page, how many pages is the book now? Um, it's a small book. It's, uh, 124 pages. Wow. Okay. All right. So uh, 124 pages is a small book compared to, comparatively speaking to your far away land tomes, right. which yeah, are the, last, the last far away land book was almost 400 and it was like, it was just killing me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to write any more 400 page books in the short time. You know? <laughs> Ever. Is this the same? Is this the same size as your other Simeon Circle game books? Yeah, so it's it's five and a half by eight and a half, and the rule system in it is actually um, the mirror the mirror anarchy engine that we talked about when I was on your show last time. I think I was on last time, like maybe February or January right. or something. Yeah, yeah, this year. Um, and so, so, so talked about. So you t- you took. The mirror, your mirror anarchy uh, game system, yeah. And and I'm I'm a part of your mirror mirror anarchy Facebook group. It's so fun. It's so lively. It's I love watching. I love watching the conversations happen in there. And so, talk to us about this. Is almost in a way, almost a an evolution of our conversations we had back in January. So. So talk to us about how Adventure Perilous was created from your Mirror Anarchy game. Sure. So, so I like I was telling I was talking to my wife the other day. We had come back. Um, she doesn't really game, but she went and played. Um, well, it's the first time I've run Adventure Perilous for a group of people who have never played a game, uh, never played a role playing game, okay. and. Um, and I think Mirror Anarchy, I think like the the engine for Mirror Anarchy or the mechanics for Mirror Anarchy is so it's so simple and it's so um, I feel like it's really intuitive. It took me like, you know, designing four or five games to get to the point where I've reduced I've reduced things down into an elegance like that I enjoy. And it went I mean, it, it plays great with it played great with a group of people who've never played before. Um mm. So the way that it came about was the um, the mechanics in Mirror Anarchy are just incredibly simple. Um, you can basically do character design and get into playing in a really short time because there aren't a lot of mechanics to memorize. You're basically rolling 2d6 against a, uh, a target number um, of a, a difficulty of like you see there like 6, 8, 10, or 12, depending on how difficult the situation is. And right. so... 
I was thinking about like, what do I want the book to look like, you know, as far as aesthetics. And I just thought that like a simple um, pixel, like sort of retro eight bit um, art style really fit the mechanics, this really simplistic art and sort of laid over these really simple mechanics to just give, give people a flavor of the game. And then also um, just give something like ultra colorful and like really fun um, sort of to look at. Hmm. So obviously with through the 8-bit, we were talking before we went on the air that, you know, both of us are uh, firmly in the Gen X generation yeah. where we grew right. up with 8-bit. That was an 8-bit, 8-bit was lifelike when 8-bit first came out compared to the the 4-bit Ataris. Uh, and do you have, so when, when you decided to, to do this and you decided to put it into this 8-bit style, how much of a learning curve was this for you to do this? Because you have a very distinct artwork that you use in your, in your previous games. So I've, um, I love pixel art. It's like, you know, like those like meditative sand drawings. Have you ever seen those? Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like to me. Like, um, and I've been doing it for a long time and I was messing around on itch.io because I was working with a friend and we were working on sort of an app and everything. And I saw all of these people on there who were offering like just, you know, sort of retro eight bit artwork. Um, under creative commons license and um i was like man i could like totally take pieces of this and use these and then just sort of like pull it together and, and create my own stuff so the learning curve wasn't really there i already knew how to use the software like i already i've already like done a bunch of pixel drawing so um that didn't feel weird it was just um sort of getting all the components together, like what's the software I'm gonna to use to do the drawings. I use, a, I use a piece of software called A-Sprite, which is a uh, sprite animation uh, software uh, okay. that you can draw pixels with. And then I use Tiled, um, which, is a free, uh, which is a free program for, generally people use it to lay out backgrounds or like, um, like tile maps for video games and stuff. Uh, okay. And then I use Photoshop. So I had already sort of, knew all the software and I, I was already sort of into doing pixel art. Um, so it wasn't like a big leap. And I was also like, wow, I can really use some of this stuff that's already floating around out there that people have made available and I can add my own stuff to it and I can cut down on the time it's going to take me to do art for a 124 page book. Right. So, because this is the first time too, we're looking at your book. You have other people do did the art with you as well, right? Yeah, and um, so a lot of this, a lot of the artwork in there is are components from um, from things that other people have made available. Uh, as far as like um, just you know sprites or tile maps and things like that, and then um and they're all things that have like a cc what cc0 license with them where they're open like to the public to do you know whatever you want with them whether it be uh commercial or uh, private or whatever um so yeah i think there's besides me there's one two three four five there's 11 other uh artists that i've used um in this and because it's all pixel art uh you know you can't really tell that it's other artists uh, because 
you know, that eight bit aesthetic is really sort of similar across the board. Right. So how did, so how did that work? So as you, as you mentioned that, did you, from a point of taking that to, through that creative commons, uh, say for instance, there's some game designers out there who say, Hey, you know, I'm working on, I'm working on this role playing game and, um, and, would you recommend them to maybe go look at some creative commons and then connect with some artists or find some pre-existing drawings? And then what would be the next step on there? What would be the, I guess the, the business side and the etiquette of connecting with those artists? I think that, so some of the, some of the art I, that I used in this, especially um, some of the character art, now, a lot of the characters that I drew, especially for the like the monster section, um, I did those. But there's an artist called um, Zero X72. I'm not sure how you pronounce that name. Um, who released a lot of stuff on um, itch.io. And um, I really loved those designs, like those pieces that you were looking at on those pages. Those knights were things that Zero X72 uh, designed. And I thought they were just like beautiful, like little things. They really sort of inspired me and I was like, hey, um, so if it's something that's in Creative Commons with a with a Creative Commons Zero, I believe it's just Creative Commons Zero, and it's just um, a lot of those licenses, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to give them attribution. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to pay for the work. Um, it's just available in the, in the public for whatever you want to use that for. So okay. I think for, um, and it's not just pixel art. There's all kinds of stuff out there that's, you know, public domain and creative commons. And some of those creative commons licenses have different, different things. I, even though a lot of those light, a lot of the artwork that I used didn't have an attribution, everybody still gets attribution um, in the book, of course, because I, I didn't do some of those, but, right. uh, but it's an easy way. Like if you, like if you're a startup, um, you know, if you're a startup designer and you're not an artist and you don't have an art budget uh, to look for some of those things and look for some of those um, pieces of art and some of that, you know, that is that aesthetic of trying to get it to match what you're looking for. But there's a ton of stuff out there that's free. And um, like that piece there that you're looking at, like that's a piece that I did. Um, so all of the little scenes that you'll see in there are scenes that I, I put together, but um, it's still, uh, it's a way that like you can get like a, a bunch of free artwork. Um, I still think like if you're using it, if there's somebody to like <laughs> to credit, I think they should be credited. Um, right. I don't want to put my name on <laughs> everybody else's stuff, but. Um, so though, so folks that might be listening, uh, listening or, or watching this later say, uh, would be asking, they say, Dirk, you mentioned itch.io a few times. Explain yeah. to the audience what itch.io is. Yeah. It's really just this like sort of indie gaming site where people are putting out assets for, it's largely, it's heavily focused on video games, indie video games, but there's mm -hmm. also a lot of tables, tabletop stuff up there. Uh, they do some game jams where people will come up with sort of a, a theme and then build a game around that in an allotted amount of time. Uh, but the really cool thing about the site um, is that there's just a bunch of resources that are made available for, for designers. Uh, everything from like music to art to, um, to actual game engines and stuff and for video games. Um, and at the same time, there's some tabletop stuff too, but um, it's a cool little community. And uh 
I've, I've sort of enjoyed being there. I put some of my stuff up on there and, um, yeah, I like it. I like that. Uh, I like that people are creating all this stuff and they're really like open about it and just open sourcing it and everything. So I think what I'm going to do is all the people whose artwork got used, they're going to get a surprise and I'm going to send them all. They're all going to get a copy of the book just to see their stuff in it. Most of them said, Hey, if you use my stuff, you know, you don't have to give me an attribution or anything, but, uh, if you let me know, that would be super cool. And so I thought like, cause I don't think the people who designed this artwork ever thought that it was going to be used for what it was used for. And I thought mm -hmm. it might be cool to show them how like, Hey, what you made sort of, you know, transcended the medium you designed it for or something like that. So then I guess the question, the, the, the natural question that those might ask, because it's an eight bit style, and it feels like a massive instruction manual for a video game. Yeah. I'm sure I'm not the first person to ask you this. Are Would there be a possibility to turn this into like a mobile game? I think that, I mean, I think it would be something that would be, um, I would love to see something like that. I don't, it's not something that's in my skill set. Um, okay. I don't, I don't have that, background and in, in programming to do it at a level where I could like put together an app or a, a game or something. Um, but I think that, uh, I think the nature of it, of course, would like lend itself to that. Um, so yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I would love to see that. So if anybody's listening they're like, Hey, I love the way this looks. Uh, let me know. And, and so right down. now, yeah, and so, and so, Talk to us a bit about the actual formatting and creating of the book. How was this sure. different from, say, your uh, your other projects that you worked on? Yeah, so um, when I put this together, this project took me 14 weeks. So wow. it, took, it took me – I already had a bunch of the rules and everything written, um, but I expanded on mere anarchy. So it's not the same exact same thing as adventure or mere anarchy. Um, adventure okay. perilous uses a bunch of expansion stuff and there's a bunch of extra stuff that's not in mere anarchy. But since I already had that, it was really like sort of figuring out like, how does this, how do I want this to feel? And once I decided on like, you know, I'm going to use this pixel aesthetic, um, mm. Then it came down to like how heavy do i want it and i decided like i want this to feel like if you were looking at like an old you know the little uh booklets uh that came with like the nes games and right i wanted it to sort of feel like that like oh i got all this little there's all this little stuff to look at and pixel art really lends itself to that feeling anyway um so what i did was um i basically created a whole library of artwork i went through uh, laid out the book, leaving places for um, specific artwork. And then what I did is I went in and then I created pieces that were designed specifically for those areas of the book. That's how I laid it out. Um, and then I dropped in like a bunch of background artwork for the different chapters. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was pretty simple. Like the page you're looking at there for those dungeons, I basically built a tile set um, so that I could create like unlimited dungeon maps. And then what I did is I drew a dungeon map in the software called Tiled. And then I used the dungeon map that I drew as the background for the book. Wow. And so did you use uh, Adobe on this? Yeah. So and it was those three pieces of software, Ace Bright, Tiled, and Photoshop. Um, 
the a sprite is for drawing all of the all of the sprites and the tiles and everything and then tile for putting them together and then photoshop for just sort of cleaning everything up okay so then you you actually made these as separate images and not necessarily like you weren't using indesign you use photoshop specifically yeah so um oh and then the layout software that i use is called uh, uh serif page plus x9 which is the precursor to affinity's publisher um, okay but that's the software that i use to lay it out um yeah so it's uh what you'll see with like the tile with the tile sets is that those are individual tiles that you just i just drew a map for that size whatever page size i needed and then i just mm. i just dropped that into photoshop and if i needed to edit it or something that i did it in there and then i it was right. it was a pretty simple process actually compared to and a fast process compared to hand drawing uh, everything the way that i normally do stuff right so you kind of mentioned before as we talked earlier like this was sort of evolved from mere anarchy same gaming system is this two completely separate games yeah no way? they're they're totally compatible so um okay. if you if you go and like download the mere anarchy rules um Adventure Perilous has a bunch of additional stuff that Mirror Anarchy didn't have in it, but the core mechanic is exactly the same. A bunch of the a bunch of the content is similar or the same. Uh, it's really just an expansion and a cleaning in a, a cleaning up of Mirror Anarchy. Mm -hmm. And the nice the nice thing about doing that with an existing mechanic was. Um, I didn't have to do like rigorous amounts of playtesting. I really only had to playtest the new stuff because Mere Anarchies was playtested. Like I playtested it to pieces. Also, a bunch of people online, like in the group and everything, they playtested it as well. So uh, this was something that the reason I was able to put it together so fast is because I didn't have that heavy playtest period where generally like that's the big holdup for me mm. is like, oh, I put something together. Here's these mechanics. And then you have to run it, you know, four or five times to see, oh, and then you have to, if it needs adjustment, you have to fix it. And then you do another iteration of that. Um, I didn't really have to do that with this because it already, I'd already done that. So the expansion of the mechanics made the, um, while that took a little work, the uh, play test was, was pretty minimal. Right. So talk to us a bit about the actual gameplay. You did mention you used two, uh, two six-sided die. Um, yeah. If you get, get six or above, it's you, you know, easy, and then six, and then eight, ten, and twelve. Right. And but you also have on here when we're looking at the we're looking at the characters. So for your audio listeners, pulling up an example of say like a, a monster, you have a heart icon, a shield icon, a fist icon, a skull icon, and a candle icon. What do those mean? So one of the things that uh, I thought would be cool is to just do a bunch of icons. I kind of wanted to do them anyway. I thought it might make it more fun to um, to uh, just get in there and look at the page. Uh, right. And it might make it easier to read. So like that heart is like uh, health. The shield is their uh, armor class. The little fist is um, how many actions they have. Uh, okay. The skull is their class bonus. And then the candle is their item bonus. So one of the things that I think makes this 
system really minimalist is that you don't use these massive like lists of skills and like uh, you you don't have necessarily like a race or, or a heritage for the character where you have all of these things listed under those uh, that you have to keep track of. The way it works is when you design your character for Adventure Perilous, um, you have three pieces that create the, the class of the character, which are uh, personality description, uh, the heritage of the character, and then their, um, their skill. So mm. a heritage would be like elf, dwarf, whatever, you know, frogman, mouse folk, whatever. Uh, the personality is a single word descriptor. So like joyous or anarchic or um, forgetful or whatever. And then your um, skill descriptor or your skill is just a single word. So it might be like, I don't know, rat catcher or uh, grave robber or healer or whatever. So you may, with those three pieces, your heritage, your profession, and or your profession and your uh, personality, you could have something like a, a joyous uh, rat catching um, elf. And that's <laughs> your character. So when you go to play, whatever your class bonus is, um, your class bonus applies to all of those descriptors. So if you're an elf, well, what are elves good at? Um, and you just use stereotypes, whatever you can come up with. Uh, so elves like the woods and they know a lot about forest lore and they're good with like bows and arrows and they're wise and all this stuff. Um, and if they're a rat catcher, what are they good at? They're good at catching rats. They're good at like setting traps maybe. So all of those things that apply to that description um, would give you a bonus when you're doing an action. So let's say that you're trying to, uh, I, you know, discover a trap. If you're a rat catcher, maybe you say, hey, since I'm a rat catcher, uh, I think I would be good at setting traps. And since I'm good at setting traps, I'm probably also good at seeing them. So maybe you get a bonus for that. Um, mm. So you don't have to keep these like long lists. You don't have to write all kinds of stuff down on your character sheet that you've got up there. It's really just how do I use these three keyword descriptors to create a to create my class and then to describe my character's actions in game. Um, okay. when I need to, yeah. So it's it's just a simplified system. So when we played the other night um, with these three folks who had never played before, uh, two people were characters from the book. One person was a merfolk and then the other person was a dwarf. And then somebody else was like, Hey, I just want to be, um, like a mouse folk, which isn't a heritage in the book. And I just used heritage in place of race. Cause I thought it was more appropriate. Um, right. so I was like, yeah, you can totally be a mouse folk, even though there weren't any rules for mouse folks So what are mouse folk good at? And then you just think about like, well, what are mice good at? They're good at like being sneaky and hiding. Um, they probably like have an affinity for cheese. Um, they're probably good at chewing through things, stuff like that. So when they built their character, even though that wasn't included in there, all of those aspects of what a mouse folk would be like were easily integrated into the game, which allows mm -hmm. you to basically quickly create and play pretty much anything that you want to play. Right. Now, <clears throat> kind of like what you had in, 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 in Far Away Land, do you actually have a... If, if somebody wants to follow any like canonical piece, do you actually have, in case you want to, here's the adventure perilous timeline or, or something along those lines? No, uh, <laughs> this, there is no, there is no world setting for this game right now. Um, 
the world setting for this game is going to be um, a project that um, that I'm working on, and the project is going to be the world for Adventure Perilous. I'm going to create the whole thing procedurally. So mm. all of the characters in the game and all of the locations and the maps, I'm working with somebody else to build um, just procedurally generated content for Adventure Perilous that we're going to basically allow it to run and then we're going to go back through and clean up and use that as um as a way to build the foundation of the world just as an experiment right are there any in this game specifically um adventure perilous have you put in any specific like easter eggs or something for people who are fans of uh, faraway land <laughs> not really uh <laughs> It's sort of just completely standalone. One of the reasons that I've been working, one of the reasons uh, I was working on this was because I had sort of faraway land creative burnout and I needed like sort of a palate cleanser. So that's really why uh, the game looks completely different. Um, it's a much simpler rule system. Although faraway land is a pretty rules light system. This is a simpler rule system. Um, and it doesn't really have any overlap. It was just a way for me to cleanse my... I think I said this back when we talked in, like, whenever. Um, I said the same thing with Mirror Anarchy. I'm still in palate cleansing mode. Um, because it had, been, it had been, like, four or five years that I was only working on Faraway Land. And I just needed, I just needed sort of a creative break from it. Um, right. So there's not... There's not any... There's not any Easter eggs in here that I consciously put in. Um, I don't know if I put something subconsciously in or not. I yeah, mean, I don't know if there's any like any random generator maps because I love what I love about this is that it not only as you mentioned before you make the character, but you also created a system in here where you can do random generator for adventures and settings as well. Yeah, that's, that was part of it is like, how do I, part of this was an exercise and how do you take complex systems like generating like a dungeon or generating an adventure and reducing it down into its primary components so that somebody, somebody who that, who's not maybe experienced with that can take that foundation, those foundational pieces and sort of run with it and put their own stuff on top of that. That's part of the creative exercise in doing this was for me to do that. Uh, but it has a bunch of random generators and it has a bunch of, uh, you know, random, you know, map creators, random skills, random, uh, mm -hmm. the magic system. That's how it works. It uses those keywords again. So you have like descriptors and effects. So you would have um, spells can be generated randomly. Uh, there's no spell list. So you can have like, I don't know, um, what would be like summoning hands would be a spell. So what does that mean? And then you go in and you interpret that. So when we were playing, when we did this test the other night with uh, with folks who had never played, uh, somebody had like, I think summoning, I think summoning hand, what was their, uh, anyway, one of the things they were able to do is like conjure up these giant lobster claws and like bite through bars and pull bars apart. And then the other thing was they could like summon their trident. They were a merfolk and they were able to like summon their trident within a certain distance. And that was the two spells uh, that they randomly rolled and that's how they interpreted them and it fit really good with their character and it fit good in game. So I think 
for me running games, I use a lot of randomness. I don't really run players down a hallway and say, you know, this is what this adventure is going to be. It's really, I run things really sandboxy so that when people get in there, it's really on the fly play. Like if they're, if they're not into whatever I've sort of set up for them, like I'll roll with whatever it is that they want to do in the adventure. Um, right. I don't really try and like, you know, shoehorn them into a corner or something uh, I'm like mixing metaphors, but it's, it's really, the game is really designed. So like, how do you go from not really being super prepared to randomly generating a bunch of content as you're playing? That's really what it's made for. Right. So, Talk to people about the character progression system on this. Um, it's pretty simple. Uh, after you play like a certain number of uh, sessions, you level up, and then at each level, you get some bonuses. You advance, so you may get like class bonuses or uh, hit point bonuses or item bonuses, um, that sort of thing. Mm. Okay, it's a really it's a really simple system. In fact, I think that the uh, uh, the advancement page is only like a little block like that big right there. That's how much, that's how big the advancement part is. So, um, Oh, there's also a legacy system in there. So when your character okay. gets killed, I think character death is like awesome. I think that characters should die. I think this <laughs> idea of like, Oh, I've been playing a character for 10 years to me. It seems sort of boring. Um, whatever anybody wants to do, but, there's a legacy system. So after your character dies, you can create a new character that has some sort of connection to your previous character. So you can be like, oh, this is this character's brother who's on this revenge. You know, he wants revenge for his brother's death in this dungeon or whatever. So uh, so the advancement system um, and the legacy system, they sort of uh, tangentially tie in together. But they're just really two simple little systems that... Uh, add some flavor to it so is there any uh, as you mentioned before is there anything any challenges that uh gms might face with people trying to break the rules and try to mid-max characters yeah yeah so i that when people try to max out characters i find it really boring um my my play style is like how do we sort of sit down and engage in like a group narrative um so i don't really gravitate toward like maxing out like the like how do i make my character super powerful so you know um i find that like if you have a super powerful character like you know how exciting is that when you can just like lay waste to everything it's basically like you know the game doom when you play doom on right. god mode it's like you, you lose interest because there's nothing on the line. I think that like death needs to be on the line for narrative. Um, so there has to be, you know, there has to be a reward, but there also has to be that looming penalty. If I make a mistake, then, you know, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I, I possibly, I'm not going to get that reward. Um, hmm. I, I think one of the things that like inexperienced game masters might have with this um that could come up is that how do you do a bunch of this stuff like sort of just on the fly like how do you roll with uh what what the group wants to do and i think really that just takes practice i think the nice thing about a system like adventure perilous is it's so minimalistic that 
you don't have to go in and say, oh, well, the characters are now they're scaling this tower. Let me go back and refer to these rules as to see what is the chance of scaling like sl slippery rock, you know, for, for three different types of characters. It's really mm -hmm. just, oh, these characters want to go and like scale the tower. I didn't even think of that. What's the difficult, what would the difficulty be? Oh, that seems pretty hard. So everybody's going to have to roll and apply class modifiers to a, to their 2d6 roll to see if they get a 10 or better to see if they successfully climb the tower. Um, so I think that like for a lot of folks creating a sandboxy feel in the game can be different, difficult, but I think when you have a minimalist rule system, it, it helps you do that because you don't have to worry about how am I going to do this? I already know the mechanic of all I need to do is set a difficulty for whatever this action is that the players want to do. Okay. So talk to us a bit about what people can expect from the Kickstarter. So they'll be able to get um, a PDF, uh, a paperback, like this one, um, hardback, like this one. Wow. Um, okay. You'll be able to get PDF and paperback or PDF and hardback, or you can get them separate. Uh, and I'm also going to have... Um, they'll be able to get tile sets with it too, so that they can create their own maps. Uh, oh, cool. So the hex maps that are in the book, I don't know if you saw those, but like, I'll, I'll hold them up. Um, so the book comes with some of these like hex maps. Uh, so people will, will be able to get um, the tile sets to draw their own maps inside tiled. And those tile sets are going to come in three different sizes. Uh, so you can draw like three different size maps. And you can do everything in like the adventure perilous uh, aesthetic. Also, um, you'll be able to get tile sets for drawing your own dungeons in tiled, so you can put those together. Um, so that's going to be uh, an additional uh, piece that comes with the game. Okay. Wow. All right. And and so what? When you, so as we say, this is launching on August first in this year, uh, twenty twenty two. For those that are listening to this later, in case those that are listening to it in the future, um, but say somebody misses the Kickstarter and they want to buy the book, where can they where can they pick it up? So after the Kickstarter uh, gets fulfilled um, uh, and all the rewards are sent out, then the book will be released uh, to the public. It'll probably be released on Drive Through RPG, and it's also okay. going to get released on. Um, it'll also get released on Itch.io. Okay. The, the PDF will get released on itch.io, but you'll be able to get like uh, print versions on drive-thru. Okay. All right. And right now people can go to dirkstanley.itch.io uh, and they'll be able to find right now. You yeah. actually, you, all your mere anarchy stuff is on there right now. Yeah. And if you go to Simeon circle games, it's got all the mere anarchy stuff over there on the, uh, on the side. I think there's a link that says like mere anarchy downloads or something. Right. Uh, and you can go and all of the mere anarchy stuff is free. So if you're like, yeah, I don't know, this dude seems like he's all over the place. Uh, <laughs> you, can go, you can go in there and look and like all the mere anarchy stuff is totally free. It's in Portuguese. It's in Hungarian. It's in, um, Spanish. It's in, um, I think there's a French version. It's in English. So a uh, bunch of different versions of Mirror Anarchy for folks. Uh, but it's got all the Mirror Anarchy expansions. And like I said, it's all, Mirror Anarchy stuff is all completely free. 
Well, and that's a good point that you brought up too, is uh, the Adventure Perilous. Is there going to be any language, any new languages on that one too? So um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Uh, I, I th- it's an exclusive. I so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, yeah, it's an exclusive. Um, Cause I'm a friend of the show. Uh, <laughs> it's a, uh, I'm I'm going to try and get it in some uh, in, a, in a couple different languages. Yeah, I'm going to I'm working on some licensing agreements with some folks in Europe and then some folks in um, South America as well to uh, do the port, do a Portuguese version and a Hungarian version of it as well. And what, what's it? What's it? What's the? What would you say is the age? The age on this? Um. Oh, you could play this. I've played this with. Uh, I played this with my nieces and they ranged from like eight till 12. I mean, it's, it's so simple that, um, you could, you could play, this is, this is totally kid friendly. So it's pretty kid friendly. There's like the artwork is kid friendly. There's nothing, um, there, there's nothing in there that like kids wouldn't be able to sort of gravitate to. I think it's a, I think it's a really good entry level game for people who have never played RPGs. And I think mm. the, I think the ability to like modularly add to it through the different systems in the game, I think it gives people who do have some experience, uh, some options on like making the game a bit crunchier. So, right. Good. Cause it, it, that's what I love about it is that it's, it's, it's narrative and there is enough crunch in it because there are some numbers involved that it, it does give people that sense of, of the ability for that progression and that there are some, established rules and stuff like that as well so yeah i love i love the part when uh when we're playing because i'm always like if somebody the way that i run the game is if somebody performs an action and they're successful i i ask them to narrate it um and then if somebody performs if somebody performs an action and they're unsuccessful then i narrate it as like the gm um and tell them what happens but what i found is like people love that part of the game to be like oh i hit him with my sword i'm like all right you're successful so tell me what you do and then they describe it and they get super into it and uh it also cuts down on my work as the person running the game because i don't have to try and come up with like constant uh you know descriptions of like what's going on i just let them narrate it and then it lets them own it and paint the picture in their own head and it seems much more uh, it, it seems much more fun for people. Uh, if people want to learn more, they because you, you did update your website now. Now everything is at Simeon Circle Games, correct? Yeah. So all the Mere Anarchy stuff, all the Far Away Land stuff, all the upcoming Adventure Perilous stuff is all going to be at Simeon Circle Games. Yeah. SimeonCircle.blogspot.com, and you do have a very and a very active uh, group. The Mere Anarchy group is uh, pretty active on your on on Facebook. Um, on Kickstarter, you'll see that Adventure Perilous role-playing game is coming out on August 1st, 2022. If you miss this, you always can you can always go to simeoncirclegames.blogspot.com to see all the latest Dirk Stanley and Simeon Circle game stuff. So perfect. Well, thanks a lot, Dirk, for coming on. It's it's always fun chatting with you. You're always doing something, and I'm so excited to check this game out. And I'm probably going to end up trying to play it with my nieces and nephews and my kids later. So, awesome! Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate. It. I love coming on. Yeah, you're welcome.
anyway, okay. I was telling her, I was like, you know, I've made a bunch of games and spent a bunch of time doing this, and this is the simplest game that I've made, and it's by far my favorite, at the garage. my favorite mechanic. Oh, sorry. Can you I, let me? I got to timestamp that. I'll have to edit that part out. My oh, okay. my Alexa just talked. Oh. <laughs> all right. Sorry about that, Dirk. Oh, let me timestamp to five. No, that's all good. I usually, I usually unplug everything. I turn my phone on silent. I unplug this. I, I you know, close the door. All right. Um, so go ahead. So you're saying that this is the first time you played with other people that never played?